The Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return, sponsored by Narconon Ojai. Hello, and welcome to the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. My name is Joni Siegel. I'm the host for this podcast, and my husband, Steve Siegel, is the producer. If you have a story you would like to tell, please reach out to us. When a person is addicted to drugs and or alcohol, the myriad of choices of treatment can be overwhelming. Narconon Ojai is an exclusive residential treatment program that addresses the mental, spiritual, physical aspects of addiction. With a proven step-by-step, holistic, and completely drug-free step-by-step program that frees people trapped by addiction. For more information, call 1-866-231-5924. Today's episode is episode number 201. And today we will be interviewing a woman. Her name is Laura Stack. Laura Stack is a mother. She's the mother of Johnny Stack. Johnny Stack was born on February 7th, 2000 and died by suicide on November 10th, 2019 at the age of 19. He was an incredibly intelligent, funny, charming, and handsome young man. Johnny's mother, Laura Stack, who we'll be talking to today, started a group called Johnny's Ambassadors. Johnny's Ambassadors is a nonpartisan, nonprofit grassroots alliance of individuals and organizations around the globe concerned about the harms of youth marijuana use. Without further ado, let's talk to Laura Stack. Laura Stack, thank you for being willing to be on the podcast this week and telling yours and your son's story. My pleasure. Thanks for inviting me, Joni. I'm happy to be here. Thank you. So your son, Johnny, how did his history with drugs, how did that start? Well, Johnny uh, began smoking marijuana at the age of 14 at a high school party. Uh, the marijuana kind of showed up in Colorado in 2012 when it was legalized uh, for medical uh, marijuana earlier. And in, in 12, it was legalized recreationally. So by 2014, it had kind of hit the streets and there were some seniors in high school who were able to get their med cards and they became the uh, the dealers. And he was a freshman in high school by that time. And of course, we had talked about drugs, alcohol, marijuana, ad nauseum growing up and had specifically told him, don't use marijuana. We, The expression was, we said it would eat your brain cells, which of course isn't exactly accurate, but Johnny had a perfect SAT score on the math portion. He had an 800 out of 800. He literally was a genius in math. And we always told him, hey, don't use marijuana because it will it will hurt your brain. We told him it would eat his brain cells. <laughs> um, but he came home after a party he went to in ninth grade. And he said uh, there was marijuana there and that he wanted to try it and that everybody was getting high and uh, he wanted to get high too. So course, we reiterated the message, um, let him know that was, you know, not uh, something that we wanted him to be doing. And he certainly couldn't do it while he was under our roof and set some clear boundaries around there. Well, so he just stopped telling us. Um, 
So unfortunately, the the way that it began was someone who legally acquired a med card, which is fascinating because you can't use alcohol to your 21 and you can't smoke until you're 21, um, but you can get medical marijuana at 18 here in Colorado, which is amazing that that makes no sense whatsoever, Laura. Pain. Yeah. No. Sorry, no. that makes no sense. So you can't drink, you can't smoke, you probably can't vote. I don't mm. know. Can you vote at 18? 18, yeah. Okay. But you can get a card for medical marijuana. And if anybody thinks that an 18-year-old is getting that card because they have medical issues, okay. Yeah, the, the numbers are startling. Um, from ages 0 to 17 in Colorado for a med card for medical conditions, which I imagine at that age would be very severe if you needed a medical card. Um, I'm guessing seizure disorders, uh, you know, cancers, I mean, sick children for whom it is helping. There has been research that the very uh, pharmaceutical grades of purified CBD, for example, can help with some of these medical conditions, but there is no medical uh, FDA approved smoke uh, marijuana is never smoked. Uh, it is never dabbed. It is never freebased uh, as medicine. And there were uh, under 200 of those uh, medical marijuana instances under the age of 17. And at the age of 18, 4,400. Wow. So from the time they turned 17 until they turned 18 in that month, magically, um, thousands of them developed uh chronic pain, which, you know, I, I don't know how you have chronic pain at 18, but um, you pay a pot doctor $500 to write you a card and you tell him or her you have a migraine and boom, you at 18 in the state of Colorado can legally buy shatter. Wow. I wonder yeah. what the logic is, what the difference is between that and a pill mill, if you think about it. I mean, the pill mills, when they were in existence, you just simply came in with a piece of paper and some cash and boom, you got pills. Seems kind of yeah. the same to me. I, I think uh, largely it is. It's interesting because the, you know, medical sides of our dispensaries aren't obligated to track prescriptions. If it's truly medicine, why isn't there a prescription? Um, why isn't it tracked like opioids? Why is it that an 18 year old would be able to go to one dispensary by an ounce, another dispensary, another dispensary, and they have no idea uh, that you've been to three dispensaries? Well, wait a minute, you're over the legal limit. But see, that's not tracked because it's not actually treated like a prescription any less than the pill mills were. Right. Wow. Yeah. And I guess when the, I guess if I remember correctly, when the pill mills were in their heyday, I know there are some areas that still have them, but I, at least in Florida, I think when the pill mills were in their heyday, there was no tracking, and now there's tracking of opioids. Correct. Maybe and that's something. Maybe there is some um, legislation. I know there are many smart people who are working on some of the regulatory gaps uh, that exist in Colorado and I'm sure many other places. And, you know, seeing if some things can be tightened up, regulated, uh, close some loopholes um, in, in ways that will protect our youth okay. and yet allow um, the medicinal use. Of people who need it. 
legalized, legal adults, yeah. you know, we're not yeah. talking here about, um, in my, in my nonprofit, we, we talk about children using marijuana, right. you know, and so many people are up in arms about it. Oh, you're trying to take away my medicine. I'm it's like, no, yeah. if you're 21 and you're a consenting adult, the, the voters voted to um, allow that. I'm, I'm actually not even talking to you. I'm talking right. about children. My right. son was 14. 14. Uh, and there are harms yeah. uh, to children who use any level yeah. of marijuana. And that certainly um, has to be balanced if it truly is medical. But then they're taking it in very different formats. The medicine is never smoked, baked, right. eaten, dabbed. Uh, dabbed. Yep. You know, it's not wax. It's not shatter. It's in a controlled FDA approved format. Right. So I don't want people to misunderstand if you're an adult and you're legal and you feel like using it, that's, it's your brain. It's your life. I mean, I would never use it. And right. studies have shown that there are harms still to adults. Um, but, you know, we focus on children and, and really educating parents and teens about the dangers of today's very high THC marijuana, especially on adolescent brain formation and mental illness and suicide. Most people right. have no idea. Laura, take me, take us back but, to Johnny. What happened to Johnny? Oh, Johnny, um, you know, was uh, just a wonderful young man. If you go to johnny'sambassadors.org, you can see how handsome he was. He was a beautiful, beautiful boy. Um, smart, talented, funny. I mean, just your normal kid. He had a brown belt in karate. He played piano. He ran cross country. You know, he, he did normal things. We did, you know, went on vacation, went to church. Uh, he had a 4.2 GPA. You know, we're talking just a very normal young man, um, had a scholarship, went, went, had a very bright future ahead of him and the, the marijuana derailed him. Did uh, you have any idea, uh, like I know you told him not to and so he did and he hid it from you. Did you have any clues or inklings of what was going oh, on? Yeah. Well, um, you know, here's the thing, Johnny, I can't, I couldn't duct tape my, myself to him. Right. Um, That's right. If I would have, if I could have, I would have, I mean, mm -hmm. I would have duct taped and do the wall and, you know, or shackled myself to him, or, you know, if I would have, you know, obviously known, um, we would find marijuana, we would find uh, pipes, obviously these things, these items were destroyed uh, and confiscated, you know, disciplinary measures put in place, we tracked his car, we would, you know, remove privileges, you know, everything that you believe you're told to do, um, therapists, <laughs> uh, you know, a, a lot of what you would expect, but when you are involved in a substance, uh, and in his case, you know, even if you're doing it, what we could tell, because uh, we had alarms on our doors and you know, everything to see, make sure he wasn't leaving. Uh, it was kind of on the weekends and when he went to school because he had to go to school. I mean, we wanted him to go to school. So we just couldn't watch him all the time, especially once he turned 16. You know, and uh, he would drive himself to school and his brother. Well, turns out, you know, he would use marijuana at, at school in the in the bathroom. So even though we were monitoring him in the evening while he was at home and in the morning, he would go to school and do it because, you know, you can't smell it. Um, it you can hide vapes, you know, and 
he did get in trouble a few times. A couple people even texted a tip on him in school and uh, they would go and search his car and his backpack and he, you know, would get MIPs and we'd be like, good, you know, mm -hmm. thank you. Um, take him to the, you know, mad classes and uh, the community service. And, you know, it, it was a really, really rough uh, road. He was able to manage his, his, um, his addiction remarkably well until he became a senior. Uh, I think it was kind of an intermittent thing. I mean, even if you're a moderate cannabis user, let's say, you know, let's say you're a high schooler and you, you only smoke on the weekend. Uh, you know, that's a hundred times a year. <laughs> it's, it's, you know, it's a lot when we know that a single use of THC can actually create transient psychotic symptoms. So we don't really know. We know from some of his friends who would who came over after he died, several to apologize, um, several to kind of tell us some backstory that we could, couldn't kind of piece together from his journals. But by the time he hit a senior in high school, uh, he still had that 4.2 GPA and it went downhill dramatically. Um, the shatters and the, and the dabs really didn't hit heavily in Colorado until about 2016 was when they first started um, hitting the market at the high schools. And that's when he was 16. So by the time he was 17 and using those, we started to see a dramatic decline in his mm. academic performance, in his uh, motivation, in his hygiene, uh, behavior um, became very defiant, uh, sadly abusive, verbally, mentally. Um, he would call me names. Um, wow. Say horrid things, and and it wasn't, it wasn't him. It was, it was the the drug. You That's know, right. it was his addiction. That's um, right. Forgiven him for that, <laughs> but. Yeah, he he went downhill fast. Um, Laura, he... I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt. I learned recently because we had a doctor on the podcast who's um, a pain, he's a pain management management doctor in Colorado, and he explained to me what a dab was, but I don't know what oh. a shatter is. It's just another type of an extract okay. shatter. Um, if it, it looks like it's brittle, and that's why they call it shatter. Okay. Instead of a dab that's a sticky uh, kind of wax, a shatter looks like if you threw it down that it would shatter. It looks more glass-like. Okay. So they're often, the extracts and the concentrates are often named by their consistencies, butter, uh, shatter, wax. Right. But it's basically just a very concentrated form of the very THC, the active ingredient in marijuana. Very, yes, 90% okay. tetrahydrocannabinol THC. Okay. It's, it's extremely potent. But he uh, was using some of those. We'd find, um, you know, blood torches. You know, the strange thing was, Joni, and I think this, and this is why we are so obsessed in our nonprofit about educating parents, because we didn't even know what dabs were. Right. We didn't even understand. You know, you still have this mindset of your kid smoking weed, and you kind of, you think it's the same stuff that you used when you were a kid. Like I literally didn't know about dabs. And I mean, looking back, I just I feel so ignorant, but it's not my fault. I just, I didn't know what I didn't know. Um, you know, we always used to think, uh, you know, weed was 
2%, 4% THC, you think of, you know, grass, Yep. you know, you'd actually roll a joint, you know? So in your mind, that's your reference. That's your frame of reference. And, you know, you kind of go, yeah, you know, I used weed. I'm not a prude. Kids will be kids. Um, it didn't hurt me. And I've forgiven myself for that because it, it was just ignorance. Uh, and I, and most people today over 28 years old have no idea what dabs are. I, I did one Facebook posting. I remember just saying, do you know what a dab is? And it got 20,000 shares, 20,000, <laughs> but nobody, everyone's like, what is that? And it wasn't really until, um, you know, fast forward, he's in college and has his first suicidal uh, attempt. And we're getting his things out of the university to withdraw him and take him home. And we find this nectar kit in his room. And my husband and I are literally like, what is this? What is this stuff? Hmm. And it was dab. It was wax um, in this case. But, you know, the torches and just you don't under and, and we had to literally look it up on the Internet, that kit. And that's where we went. Oh, we are dealing with something that we do not we're not prepared for. We don't yep. even know what this is. This is not the weed you smoked in the 70s. This is not the weed um, in my case, you know, 80s. But yeah, I was going to say you're, you're not the 70s, 70s, but yeah, 80s. I'm, I'm 51 now. But. You know, the unraveling was really in, in high school, uh, his senior year. By the second semester of his senior year, he got four Ds and wow. barely graduated. Um, wow. His GPA was so high, he still got honor cords. It was, it was sad, but he, he all but stopped going to school. Um, and we, he, he moved out when he was 18. It, it just got... Um, so bad with the the behavior change, the defiance, um, the anger, the non-compliance with with any rules, and the continued drug use, um, and just very disrespectful. I mean, when you when you have to put locks on your own bedroom door because you're afraid of what your young teen man may do, um, it's it's time for them to move on. And he refused to make any changes continue to go to a therapist and, and do all that. But he just said, I love marijuana. He said, I love it, mom. And I'm not going to stop. Wow. And so we, um, we mutually agreed and we, we have another son and an older daughter and a younger son who, who was still at home. And it was not uh, a good environment for him. And so we made a mutual decision that he moved out. And that was uh, in February of 2018. And he just went crazy just, um, we, we really hoped he would get arrested. <laughs> um, at that point he was selling, you know, when you get involved at that level with marijuana, at some point you become a, a dealer. dealer as well. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that's where he did get a few, you know, MIPs. He got into some legal trouble. Um, you know, we didn't bail him out. We didn't, uh, you know, we, we made sure that he made all of the restitution that was required. Um, and then that summer, uh, he got really bad before he started college. I mean, he stole my dog and said that if I didn't give him money, he would kill it. I mean, he started oh my God. just really um, 
just becoming someone we didn't we didn't know and we couldn't help him and the problem at that point was he was 18 right and once you're 18 i mean you have to understand we called therapists doctors psychiatrists programs lawyers can we you know be a, a, appointed um guardians and and it was always no you know he isn't a harm he isn't a harm to himself um he's 18 and he actually took it a step further by contacting his doctors and removing permissions that wow. uh, were once granted when he was you know younger and then when he became 18 i couldn't talk to the school i couldn't talk to any of the medical uh professionals and when he went to colorado state university on his scholarship, um, that fall, he was there for two weeks and sadly had a roommate who came to CSU for the purpose of smoking weed. Wow. Moved from Michigan to smoke weed. Wow. So Laura, as far as you know, sorry to interrupt again. Sorry. As far as you know, he never did any other drugs. It was just marijuana, right? No, he did experiment with some other drugs. Okay. Um, it, you know, he would try this or try that or one off this or one off that, but he was never addicted to anything else. He was never treated for anything else. Okay. Um, when he had his psychosis and uh, the suicide episodes and things like that, it was always THC in his system. It was not other drugs. His official diagnosis from the first mental hospital was THC abuse severe. I mean, that is what is written on the paper. Um, didn't test for other things. I'm, I know, I know for sure he tried LSD, um, uh, Adderall, but those were kind of one-off things. He just, he didn't enjoy those for what, and he really loved the marijuana. Um, so those were the things that he used all day, every day. And that ended up being his undoing. Um, he texted me and he said, you know, I'm not making friends. And, um, you know, I said, that's, that's normal. You know, you're, you're, you've only been there two weeks, you know, it's, it's normal to be uh, nervous about making friends. And he texted back, is it, is it normal to feel like killing myself every day? And I said, no, that is not normal. Wow. So um, we had to go and uh, withdraw him from the university at that point uh, and take him home. And he said, I have been dabbing nonstop for two weeks. Wow. So we took him home and um, kind of got him, got him settled. But then we, the university said we had to go pick up his things uh, from his dorm and he didn't want to go do that. And so we, you know, thought he was okay. Lesson learned. He was not okay. Um, and while we were at the university getting his things, that was his first, um, suicide attempt. Wow. How did, what did he do? Did he overdose or did he? Oh no, no. He, uh, he attempted to hang himself in his oh. bedroom. So we were gone. He went out and drove and got, uh, materials, rope, you know, a torch, um, had it all set up in the in the bedroom, I got a call on the phone. It was him. And he said, I just tried to kill myself. Um, and it didn't work. And so, um, of course, I'm on with the police and him, you know, trying to 
keep him on um, the phone and putting him on mute while talking to the police. And they, they were able to get to the house as he was trying to leave. Um, and they saw the, you know, the burn marks on his neck and they took him to the hospital. And of course we drove 90 miles, you know, hundred miles an hour down to get home and went to the hospital and he was there and uh, no injuries, but they took him from there to his first mental hospital uh, on the, you know, suicide watch. And then they could only hold him for 72 hours. And it was Labor Day weekend and nobody was working. And it was crazy. Like he couldn't even, he didn't even see a doctor until like the day before he was leaving. And he talked to me on the phone and you could tell he was just clearly still agitated. And he said, I'm going to kill myself as soon as they let me out of here. And I said, you know, and I told them, I said, he is going to kill himself. You are listening to the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. For more information on the podcast or to reach out, if you have a story you would like to share with us, go to our Facebook page by the same name, or you can email us at theaddictionpodcast at yahoo.com, or go to our website, theaddictionpodcast.com, or call us at 727-314-7080. And please remember to subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and give us a five-star review. For more information on our sponsor, Narconon Ojai, visit their website at narcononohi.org. That's N-A-R-C-O-N-O-N-O-J-A-I.org. Or call 1-866-231-5924. That's 1-866-231-5924. Sometimes, the hardest thing about getting someone into recovery is getting them to agree to treatment. Bobby Newman, a certified drug counselor with 30 years experience and an over 85% success rate as an interventionist, has created a series of 12 videos that you can use right now to learn every step to get your loved one to agree to treatment. Call 1-833-918-0008 today and say the word podcast to get a 10% discount. Or go to newmaninterventions.com and type in the word podcast for a 10% discount. This service comes with a free one-hour consultation with Bobby. Did they give him any drugs or anything when he was in there? No. No? No. In fact, they took him off everything. They took him off. By this point, the marijuana use over the years, um, he was on um, something for his anxiety. He became like really anxious. It was like a combination anxiety, depression medication. And they just said, you know, we're just going to take you off everything. So when he left the mental hospital, he was free of the marijuana, which was wonderful because, you know, that took three weeks to, to get out of his body, you know, where he could come off of this withdrawal. Apparently the withdrawal effects of marijuana are bad. He was in the hospital for three weeks and uh, came home off the marijuana, off the medications and on, on nothing. So we went to the therapist. This of course freaked him out. Um, 
he was willing to get some help then. And um, he put him on one medication for depression, I think at that time, because of this whole incident and his brain healed. He was in a fog for a long time, couldn't think. Um, it had you know, really done some damage to his memory and to, he slept a lot. You know, he just took him a long time, um, really four months till the end of the year. And then he felt like he was better. Um, he had done some work in a kennel with, you know, kind of felt like he was ready to go back to school. So he didn't want to go to the same school. And of course he had lost his scholarship. Right. So we um, tried the second university, University of Northern Colorado in Greeley. And um, he went back up there, you know, full of hope and vim and vigor and, and seemed um, really focused. Uh, unfortunately, went right back to the marijuana crowd. He oh. did well for a couple weeks, got in with the wrong people. And pretty soon we could tell he was sliding down with those same um, kind of symptoms. Now, at this point, he'd never had any kind of psychosis. Um, we'd never seen, you know, we saw the suicidality and um, his anxiety and things increase over the years, but he'd never been psychotic. Then when he was at UNC, he was using a lot of dabs um, just for weeks. And he called in April and it was the middle of the night, it was three o'clock in the morning. And he told me that um, his room was bugged, that his dorm room was bugged, that his phone was listening to him, that I'd actually sent him to an FBI base. Um, the university was an FBI base and that they thought he was a terrorist and that the mob was after him. So this is where as a parent, you realize, wow, my son has lost it. I mean, it was the craziest talk I had ever heard. Um, wow. So obviously knew um, <laughs> there was something severely wrong, called to the um, school. They wouldn't help me. They wouldn't help me. They wouldn't talk to me. Um, they wouldn't send the police over. All they did was move dorm rooms. They wouldn't tell me anything that was going on. They wouldn't tell me where he was. And they switched him to a safe house. Um, at the university, he was in one hall, they moved into another hall. Um, I couldn't even find him. Oh, I didn't know oh. where he was. Um, all of a sudden, he showed up at our house. And he had left the university and had driven himself home, probably high, probably knowing that he was in trouble. But I mean, I think he must have had some kind of sense that something was wrong and drove himself home. And we, because he was now 19, we, we just, we had no rights. So I had to, with a psychiatrist, secretly conspire to call the police and have her talk to the police just to get him to be arrested. Hmm. I had to have my own son arrested. Wow. It was one of the hardest things I've ever had to do to watch him 
walk away in handcuffs because he wouldn't voluntarily go to the mental hospital because he said, I'm not going to go back there again. Did you talk and, to him at all about, he didn't want to do any treatment of any kind, did he? He didn't, he didn't feel he had a problem with marijuana and needed to get off of it. Is that? I, I kind of think he thought, you know, figured out when his diagnosis with the first mental hospital was THC abuse severe. Um, I think, you know, that was a, a, a wake up call, but it's too, it's too compelling. It, it was just too, you know, once he was away from us, and we couldn't watch him. He couldn't resist it. He he went back to it. So I think that he did know. I'm just uh, I'm I just wondering, and I'm, I'm part of his just, addiction. Okay, I'm just wondering, just curious, and maybe it's because you were observing psychosis. You know, why not a rehab versus a mental hospital? Well, he had, the the mental hospital was just the first time. Okay. Um, the second time he, I was concerned that he was a danger to himself and that he would attempt suicide again. I got it. Yeah. So that's, a, you know, I wasn't going to make calls and, you know, try to figure out where to put him. Now I did that while he was in the mental hospital, but the, the first time, no, this was a very dangerous, urgent situation. He was having a major mental breakdown and was um, clearly psychotic and was destroyed his room. I mean, it, it was um, not a pretty scene. He needed to go to the hospital. It was an emergency. Understood. So that's the difference. Um, and this was well, when now? This was 2019, when? 2019, April. April, okay. Yeah, when he had his first psychotic break. Um, you know, and of course, uh, told them all about the marijuana, the, he, you know, and when you're in the mental hospital, of course you have to be sober. You don't have access to your drugs. Right. Um, he was horrible to me. I mean, the visits just toxic, lethal, uh, horrible. And the, the psychiatrist there said, I don't see a way for him to come home. He, he is, um, they were afraid that he would hurt me. He was so um, out of his mind and, and potentially violent. So he was uh, in the mental hospital for a time, put on an antipsychotic because they, they recognized like I did. Wow. Okay. Wow. This person, <laughs> they're really out of their mind. They tried uh, Abilify and it seemed to work. And he was on that for three weeks, I believe. And then whoosh, he all over his body developed this massive breakout of hives. And I remember we were so disappointed because it seemed to be helping him uh, where he seemed maybe to think, okay, maybe the mob is not after me. You know, maybe my think there is something wrong with my thinking, you know, before where it's like, no, there's something wrong with your thinking, you know. You're the one whose brain is not working. Um, so that was disappointing. We had to move him to another one. Uh, and it made his face twitch. He got all kinds of, you know, uncontrollable muscle twitches. I mean, poor kid. You can't, you can't blame him for not wanting to take this stuff. Um, and then they put him on another one where he felt like he was asleep a lot. You know, and this is a, a brilliant previously child uh, and he just felt like he was always asleep. So at some point he went off of it and we are not exactly sure when that happened. We have a suspicion from the timeline 
Um, but he tried to go back to a third university, one class, Colorado Technical University, and uh, he wrote a paper about what his five values are. And the first one was altruism, helping others. And he talked about gratitude, enthusiasm, conviction, patience. Um, and he said that that's what he was going to try to do and um, that he was going to try to be sober and that, you know, you can't judge people by, you know, smoking, smoking a plant and that he was going to be a better person and that he really tried uh, valiantly in the last five weeks of his life. His toxicology report was actually clean. Wow. Uh, he had from his texts that we could see to his girlfriend, we got into his phone, thank God. His last dab was five weeks before he died. Um, he had a falling out with his girlfriend. She was a dabber. She dabbed every day and he joined her and pretty soon dropped out of that third school. <laughs> they broke up and he didn't go to school, um, but he worked. He asked for a puppy. We bought him uh, a puppy. The psychiatrist said that that would probably be a good emotional support pet for him. So we bought him a beagle and he wasn't using marijuana. He, um, we thought was on his medicine. So that's what was really interesting in the end was that he was writing in a journal. And of course we didn't know he was writing in a journal because he never showed us his journal, but Three days before he died, he came over to the house and he seemed lucid, um, but a little, a little upset. And um, he came over for dinner. He had his own condo. He didn't, um, you know, he was 19. He wanted to have his own job, his own dog, his own condo. And he was thought we, we thought he was doing well. Didn't know he wasn't taking his medicine. And he said, I just want you to know that you were right. And I said, about what? And he said, about the marijuana. You told me that it would hurt my brain and it has ruined my mind and my life. And I'm sorry. And I love you. Oh. And three days later, he died by suicide. He didn't tell anybody, you know, I didn't get the, you know, I, I feel like hurting myself, mom. He did it with no warning. Wow. Um, I'm so sorry. I'm, and then I'm... we found the journals. Thank you. I'm sorry no, you have to go through that as a mom. It's, it's why, why we're doing this podcast, why you're doing your story, because hopefully, yeah. I just want other parents to, you know, listen to his warning and not lose theirs. Yep. Yes. The, um, Yep. So tell us about what you're doing now with Johnny's Ambassadors, because I, I know wherever he is, he's happy that you're doing that. Well, you know, that's what, you know, for the first few months, of course, I could do nothing. Um, yeah. But then I just decided, you know, I can just lie here in bed in a fetal position and cry for the next year, or <laughs> I can try to um, make his life not be in vain and keep his spirit living on and, um, you know, just try to help him help others. Like he really liked to do, he really did care about people and, um, especially the homeless, you know, he was, he was very caring. Um, 
volunteered and even would bake cookies for homeless shelters. And, you know, he was, that was just his spirit. He had a very kind heart. Um, then so, I really know he's happy about what you're doing. Yeah. So explain about so, Johnny's Ambassadors and what you guys so Johnny's do. Johnny's Ambassadors, um, we have a, a program for parents and a program for teens. Um, we don't charge for anything that we're doing. We're raising funds. So we've been very blessed to um, raise some funds in the last six months that we've been in business to help us with our programs. We're developing uh, a very innovative online a teen marijuana curriculum that is almost ready to be piloted. We hope to eventually put a half million teens through that in the next three years. Um, it's a very interactive, fun, hip, you know, they're on their TikTok. You know, we have talent that we've hired come in, hopefully grab them, throw them into this curriculum. And of course, we don't want them to have to ask their mom for $19, you know, to take <laughs> the marijuana training. So we want it to be free. Yep. Uh, for everyone. So we ask our donors to please sponsor um, a few teens so that we can keep our curriculum no cost. So we have uh, almost completed the development of that. So we hope to get that into schools and, and youth groups and boys and girls clubs and, and coalitions and, you know, any teen that wants to take the training, we want that available uh, for our parents because many of them like me just did not know about what the children today are dealing with. They don't know what's at the parties. They don't know what their kids are using. I didn't either. And so we want to teach them about that. So every Friday we have an expert uh, come on and they, they for free out of love and the kindness of their heart share for an hour. So we do the Johnny's ambassadors expert webinar series for parents. Uh, we've done about 30 of them. They are on our website um, on demand now. And then we have every Friday we're booked through the next several months. Um, we have doctors, chemists, drug experts, uh, psychiatrists, um, just really an incredible faculty of, of people to share. I was a, a professional speaker and a published author before this happened. And so now I'm using my platform and my knowledge of events and promotion and social media, you know, to really grow uh, in, a, in a grassroots type of way, our movement. Um, we have almost 1200 ambassadors now Wow! people just like me who are uh, their children ha are using or they're concerned or they've passed uh, by suicide uh, or car accidents, you know, who yep. find us and join us. And um, we have some events, you know, we have uh, a walk coming up in September. It's our second annual. We had it last year. We use hashtag stop dabbing. And so uh, we're hoping to get, oh, 100 teams or so. We have about 35 now around the country, four in Canada, Brazil, Dublin, uh, New Zealand, Australia. You know, this is a global problem. It's a global problem. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. If people, said, uh, if, if people want to contribute, like maybe do a scholarship or start yeah. a walk or somehow participate with your organization, where do they go? What do they do? Well, the easiest thing is just to go to our website, uh, which is johnnysambassadors.org. And um, we're on Facebook. We have a Facebook group, Johnny's Ambassadors in Action. There's about 11 of us, 1100 of us on there. Um, the walk is on our website, or they can just go to stopdabbing2021.com. 
Okay. And that will throw them over to the website and they can, can walk virtually. You can walk in your neighborhood. Many people are getting teams together and doing five K's, you know, but it doesn't have to be complicated. It can be just around the block. <laughs> right. Um, you know, we're going to do some work for 420 day. My newest book, um, telling Johnny's story it will be published on July 10th, which is 710, which is dab day, which many people don't even know there is a dab day, which is oil spelled upside down. Okay. So that in the marijuana culture is uh, an important day. So I'll be publishing my book on that day. The teen curriculum will be coming out. There's just a lot of different ways to engage. It just depends how um, people want to, to join us. It can just be read our weekly blog and just try to understand more. We have yep. a a research database, about a hundred hours of work put into a research database that they can get educated and uh, watch some of our videos as well. Wow. Well, thank you for everything that you do. I sincerely hope that your story scares the bejesus out of some parents who might be listening. I am very well, serious about that. If they yeah. think that what children are doing today with marijuana is what my husband and I may or may not have done back in the 60s and 70s. It is not. I don't know how many times we have to say it. And I don't know how many lovely people like you, Laura, have to lose your child to this thing. It's, it I, is, I hope uh, we scared people. I really do. I, if you're well, a parent and you think your child's doing marijuana, yeah, you need to take get note. Some help. Yes, get some help. Um, it's very harmful. We, we all have to work to save our youth from, from the harms of marijuana. They're definitely, uh, it's causing a problem. It's narcotic strength. Um, it can be freebased just like crack. And, and, it's scary. and you may know this, Laura, but when we had uh, Dr. Kenneth Finn on the podcast, he explained that I didn't know that the, that the marijuana of today is stronger than the marijuana when Colorado legalized it. There's more oh, THC sure. today than four to six years ago. And I well, didn't know that as much as I know, as many people as I talked to, I didn't know that. Yeah. The concentrates weren't out when it legalized the voters voted for something very different mm -hmm. than what is in Colorado today, just eight years later, uh, because it's not a plant anymore. When it was voted in, it was a plant and now it's a chemical. Yep. Um, so it's like the wild, wild west of weed out there. There's just a lot of changes that have happened and it's completely unregulated. Yep. Um, and what's out on the street now is very dangerous. Yep. Laura, thank you for telling Johnny's story, for telling your story. Thank um, you for having me. I hope people share Johnny's warning with others. Perfect. I hope you enjoyed the interview. I said it in the interview. I'm going to say it again. If you know somebody that is dabbing or abusing the current marijuana you need to be scared and you need to do something about it. And if you're a parent and you think you still think that the marijuana that your child is doing is the marijuana that you might've experimented with in the 60s, 70s, or 80s, it is not. It is lethal. It is mind altering. It is intelligence altering. And I don't care how many of you out there disagree with me. Make no mistake, I'm not talking about medical marijuana. I'm not talking about those individuals who are at the end of life, who have cancer, who need the marijuana to manage their pain. That is not what I am talking about. I am talking about young people becoming addicted to the very high levels of THC in the marijuana of today. I'm not going to apologize for it. 
you want to take exception with it, be my guest. But if you're a parent and you have a loved one that is abusing marijuana, you need to do something about it and you need to do it now. We'll talk to you again next week. You have been listening to the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return, sponsored by Narconon Ojai. For more information on Narconon Ojai, call 866-231-5924 or visit www.narcononojai.org. Narconon is a non-12-step rehabilitation program based on the works of L. Ron Hubbard.